4: Too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce Too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms The maids come around too much Parents ain't around enough Too many joy rides in daddy's Jaguar Too many white lies and white lines Super rich
0: kids with nothing but loose ends rich kids with nothing but fake friends start my day up on the roof there's nothing like this type of view
2: Point the clicker at right the
1: two all right and welcome back for another edition of the starting 502 podcast as always no, presley no, meyer jacob lane alongside no, me and tonight no, we have a special no, guest no, from the career no, journal no, brett no, Dawson. No, 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 uh kind of a journeyman if you don't know if you don't know about brett's career he's kind of been all over the place covered kentucky in the college ranks and then kind of been a little bit all over the place in the nba as well brett how are we doing and the second question i have for you is is when you kind
3: of came back to louisville for the first time
1: uh, what what was the first thing you had to do when you came back to louisville
3: oh man that's a great question so first of all thanks for having me um i appreciate the uh, journeyman description that's fairly accurate (laughs) you're a basketball Uh, vagabond man i like you are (laughs) I'm trying to think like what's the first I, i would like so I guess one of the first things is one of those things that like it's, it had been a long time since I've been here. And one of the first things I wanted to do, I hate to say this, but it was like one of those things that was a little it hadn't aged as well as I wanted it to. So I wanted to get wontons from the Bristol and they were good, but maybe not as good as they were when I had like not experienced as much of the world, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I can totally see that as somebody who's lived in Louisville for a really long time. I I can totally get like once you finally get out and actually get to try like some big city culinary stuff or, you know, different parts of the world can can offer a lot of different stuff than we have here.
3: Right. I mean, they're still good, though. I mean, like I like if you put them in front of me right now, I'd still eat the the fried wontons.
4: I would would say we'd probably all crush them. Yeah. What was the nicest restaurant you went to when you were covering the Lakers and the Clippers out west uh, for the Athletic?
3: Oh, Sugarfish. It's a sushi place in Los Angeles. It's the best sushi I've ever had in my life. It's so good. And uh, I loved it. It's like the best meal I had there. And a good friend of mine who actually lives in Ohio, um, when I got laid off, not to start off with sad stories, but when I got laid off at the Athletic, he sent me a huge box from Sugarfish one night. as like a surprise dinner. Uh, So it's like, you know, middle of the pandemic, you couldn't go to restaurants, but I got this huge, huge box of sugar. Like Sugarfish, it comes in a box, you open it, and the lid has like the art of what you're eating. Um, like just the little descriptions and pictures this is fantastic.
4: You mentioned it a little bit uh, at the top of the show, Presley, but uh, Brett, I want to start with your your career as a journalist. You have quite the track record of covering basketball. Uh, and interestingly enough, like it couldn't have worked out timing wise better. You uh, worked and covered the University of Louisville or uh, Kentucky down at Lexington when Kenny Payne was down there. Uh, then we're covering the NBA as Kenny was in the NBA. And now you're back at Louisville. Um, first of all, just tell me a little bit about what you remember most about Kenny and Lexington and then um, just your time in the NBA and, and when you guys have kind of rubbed shoulders. Over the last couple of years? Yeah. So
3: I, we weren't, we did not cross over in the NBA, but we did cross over quite a lot, you know, for a long time at Kentucky. And I, I'm old enough that I remember Kenny as a player. I mean, like, like I'm younger than Kenny, but I remember him playing. I remember the 86 cards. So, like, I remember him, but I didn't know anything about him. I was younger, you know, I wasn't like paying attention. It's not like I watched Kenny give interviews or anything when I was that age. Um, but I remember their team. I I like that team a lot. It's not my favorite. My favorite Louisville team was 89. I was like a big fan of the 89 cards, but, um, I, I, so I was familiar with Kenny as a player and I was familiar with like his career. He'd been an Oregon coach. I I knew he had gone back to UofL, but like until I remember the first day he had like a, um, not a press conference. Exactly. It was kind of like a conference room table. He sat at the end of a table, kind of the way Louisville does press conferences now, Mm -hmm. but it's not the way Kentucky did them at the time, but it was kind of like a meet and greet media opportunity for all of us um, who cover Kentucky on a regular basis. And like the, that was the first impression I really have of Kenny as a guy. And it just struck me how kind of down to earth and regular and, and connected he was to people. Like he, he really listened to the things that you said. He really answered the questions that you asked. That's very different from Calipari, you know, who's very much like a Calipari is much like Patino in this way, like has an idea of what he wants to say going in. And so uh, A reporter once told me a great story about Calipari that he once asked, you know, he was uh, Calipari was like uh, going to ESPN to do the car wash, uh, like where you do all the all the stuff in one day, and he was having like an assistant ask him questions. Um, and somebody said, do you think these are the questions they're going to ask? And Cal was like, what does it matter what they ask? You know, this is what I'm going to talk about. And that's, I always felt like Patino was that way too, very on message and wanted to, he was going to steer the conversation wherever he wanted it to go. And Cal is that kind of guy. And Kenny was much more, now Kenny spent a lot of time with Cal. So he might be a little more in the Cal direction now, but at the time, and when he would fill in for Cal doing those media opportunities pregame, which I always liked, it really was like a guy like if you asked him about a player, he would answer your question about that player as opposed to like there's a player he needed to praise or criticize and, you know, he would steer his answer that way. I was like that he was kind of straight up. And so I understand I understood then and I understand now when people say like the great thing about Kenny is the way he connects with people. Like I get that because I think from the very first time I met him, that was probably the thing that struck me the most as fans or as people who cover the cover
1: Louisville basketball in general. I hope that's something that we don't lose. And that's, that was immediately, as, as soon as you hear that that there's rumblings that Kenny Payne could potentially be Louisville's head coach, and then he comes in and gives what I thought was a pretty down-to-earth introductory press conference. No notes. No notes, just kind of just going off the cuff. Clearly, you know, a little nervous, but, you know, more humbled and excited than anything. And I'm hoping that, that that's a side of him that we don't lose. You know, I think that everybody was just so – in love with the way that Chris Mack was when he first came to Louisville. And I mean, why wouldn't you be, you know, he was, he was the obvious hire at the time. I think everybody felt that way. Things obviously turned sour very quickly. I I don't know, maybe with, with your experience kind of covering uh, different teams across, you know, different levels of basketball, is that something that you think that we'll see change? You think we'll see like a hardened Kenny Payne, like in
3: year four? I don't, (laughs) I don't think so. It's a good question because the head coaching job changes people. You know, it's harder than being an assistant. You know, go look at the at the head coaches of your favorite programs when they got the job, you know, of the top, top programs, and then go look at a picture of them five, six, seven years later. Look at the way they age. You know, these guys make a lot of money, but those are high stress jobs. And so I'm interested to see how Kenny handles that. But I will say this I, in talking to people, and I, I spent a lot of time in the in the The days and weeks leading up to his hire and after the hire officially happened, just talking to people who know Kenny, who have dealt with him in in his basketball life. And that was one of the things everybody told me was they just don't think the job will change him. And if you guys know Travis Branham from 247, uh, Mm -hmm. one of their national analysts, he was a manager at Kentucky when Kenny was there. He knows Kenny really well. And, and, you know, that was he was one of the guys who told me, like, he just is who he is. He was that guy at Kentucky. He's that guy now. He's not going to be different. He was that guy with the Knicks. You know, we'll see because it's it's easy to say that stuff. These are things you can say going in. It's you've done the job. We don't know. Um, but I think people who know Kenny expect that it's going to be the same Kenny. I get a little bit of Charles Barkley vibes from Kenny Payne. And,
1: and I say that because Charles from Alabama, Kenny's from Mississippi. It's They're completely different people, but just that down earth, like Southern mannerisms, laid back, like nothing that you're going to do is they've heard it all before They've been through it all. And that that's just kind of the vibes that I get from Kenny a little bit is that he's just the reason that he's so good at what he does. And the reason why he's found himself in this position is because of that personality. So that's why it concerns me that, you know, you see Chris Mack when he first got the job versus when he left, or you see Rick Patino in 2007 versus 2014. It's just a completely different human being, you know, it takes it out of you. And when you want to win at the highest level, I think that's what it takes. So that would be, you know, my num- number one, kind of going into this era is that I I want to I think any Louisville fan or anybody who's you know concerned about the the state of the program I think seeing how his mannerisms change and how he deals with the pressure of this job is gonna be really fascinating in in, in the first year because I don't think that no matter the situation I don't think they're looking at like a immediate final four contender or anything like that uh, unless something completely unforeseen happens so uh, that that'll be fascinating to to watch to me but I want to get into kind of what uh, has transpired over the last few days. Uh, obviously, on Sunday, uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield from Tennessee transfers to Louisville. Uh, just immediate thoughts on, on what he brings to the table and, and maybe one or two reasons why uh, he can take a, a step up and be kind of a starting
3: caliber type of guy for Louisville. Well, I think the first thing, you know, my first impression, It's I don't, I don't care about his numbers at Tennessee. That was a good team. I think it took him some time to find a role. He's a little better toward the end of the year, and he had some moments during the year. But the first thing is talent. It's just talent. The dude was the fourth-ranked player in his class before he reclassified, still a top-30 player after he reclassified. And I know people will say, like, the five-star thing doesn't matter or the ranking doesn't matter. It does, and it matters in this sense. It matters that the more kind, the the more of those kinds of guys you have, the better chance that they pan out. So you maybe he doesn't make it here. Maybe he's not an impact player, but they got the kind of guy who has the potential to be an impact player. I also think from a Louisville standpoint, this is a guy who was just now a five-star recruit. He's leaving Tennessee. He's got some options, and he chooses Louisville. And I still think Louisville's in that stage now where it matters. It matters to be on the lists. It matters to have these guys, even if they don't turn into big-time contributors, it matters that they choose Louisville. It matters that this kid had the chance to go to Auburn, which is a a real you know of-the-moment program, and he chose Louisville. So I think that is my first impression. Now, in terms of what gives him the opportunity to contribute, it's the same thing. He's really talented. Like, he's got – you know, coming out of high school, he didn't shoot threes at Louisville. He didn't make threes, but coming out of, or at Tennessee, but coming out of high school, the thought was he's going to be a three level scorer. He was going to score inside. He could take you to the mid range and he could shoot a three point shot. So that stuff's there. Scouts have seen it. They've said it's in his game. So now you've got two guys in Kenny Payne and Danny Manning who are really well known as skill development guys, guys who bring out the best in players. You know, I spent a long time on the phone, um, with, with Paul Washington Sr., P.J. Washington's dad, um, a week or two after Kenny got hired. He just loves Kenny, just loves what Kenny did for P.J., um, not only in helping him get to be a better player, but really Kenny was a driving force in having him stay for his sophomore year. And, and, and what really meant a lot to the Washington family, and I know I'm talking about UK here, but people can bear with me, I'm talking about Kenny, um, is that like what really mattered to them was that Kenny said, here's the stuff you need to do to make it as an NBA player. And I won't just point it out. When you come back, I'll work with you and we'll fix it. And then he did it. He said they were going to do it and they did it. And so, you know, that that's his rep as a as a coach. And I know people push back on me all the time, people who know Kenny and people who know basketball. And they say, don't pigeonhole him as a recruiter. Don't pigeonhole him as a as a developer of big men. He can do all these things. So I'm not trying to pigeonhole him. I'm just saying that that is a strength that he has. And Carl Towns will talk about how important, you know, Kenny was in him toughening up and not being just a perimeter player. You could argue that that has faded just a little, but like uh, Anthony Davis came to Kentucky. I was covering the Anthony Davis team. You know, um, if you parked a guy at the beginning of the season and didn't let him catch a lob, you just said your job is don't let Anthony Davis get a lob. He couldn't score by the time the season was over. He had a right-hand jump hook. He had a left-hand jump hook. He was scoring in the mid range. A lot of that comes down to Kenny. And so, if you're Brandon Huntley Hatfield, and there's some guys returning as well, but if you're a five-star guy like that, you've got that raw talent, this is a guy who has a rep for being a guy who maximizes what you have. And so I think if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic, that's the key reason. The talent is there, and you've got a guy who's known, uh, who's, who's known for being able to push that talent and maximize it.
4: Yeah, so in your opinion, because I think the 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 big shock with uh, Huntley Hatfield was just the the fact that Louisville really needs guards more than anything. The front court yeah. it look it yeah. looks fairly. I mean, you got to be impressed if you're Kenny Payne and Danny Manning, which are coming to work with in terms of Sidney Curry, Jalen Withers, J.J. Trainer, now Rose Wheeler. Uh, but now you throw in uh, you know Huntley Hatfield into the mix. Where does he fit with Sidney Curry, Jalen Withers? How do you see kind of some of the rotations playing out? Is is he going to be more of like a four that that kind of transitions into that modern NBA? stretch them out be able to shoot from three handle the ball a little bit or are we going to be twin towers inside 6,10, 6, 250 for each guy
3: yeah i don't know that they'll go that way now some of it will be how do they round out the roster what's the rest of the roster look like um it's really hard to get a feel for them because we i do think one thing I, I think will happen with kenny um and this is something you know nolan smith talked about this with coach k um, and and it was a Calipari thing at Kentucky when they were getting all the best players. Was that you would say like let's go get the best players we can get, and then we'll adjust year to year. We'll have some foundational ideas of who we are as an offense and a defense, but we'll alter those things based on the players that we have. And this team in particular, I think you're not going to be able to probably be as choosy as you want to be. The pool of players available to you is smaller, um, and so you got to focus on you know a few 2022 guys, some transfers uh, in the portal. What can you get? So. That's one thing. I, I think he's going to need probably to be more of a stretch guy. I think you know, and if that's uh, if the reputation he earned in high school, Huntley um, Hatfield, I mean, is accurate that he can he can operate on all three levels, then you're going to need him to be a guy at that second and third level. Because, and I, look, I, I'm I'm in favor of taking a second really talented guy to do that. You have mm-hmm. Jalen Withers, but we all know that Jalen's not the most consistent guy, and so an insurance policy there is great. But I think you're at the point right now where you say, here's a really good basketball player. I can take this really good basketball player and then we'll figure it out. There might not be minutes to go around for everybody. Somebody might be unhappy in December, but I think right now you just say he's a really good player and we need
4: players to build around. And so we're going to take him and figure it out. But yeah, they got to find some guards. Uh, Speaking of guards, when I ask you, I'm going to ask you a question and you just give me your opinion here. When, if I were to say to you, how many guards are on Louisville's roster, what would your answer be?
3: It can't be one, right? It's not one.
4: I, most people, I think if you polled most people, the average fan would say two, including Mike James. Um,
3: yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. But
4: I think the answer, realistically, in terms of what we know about what guards do from a ball handling standpoint, there's one on the roster. Yeah. So I
3: haven't seen Mike play. Obviously, I've seen Mike sit in practice. Um, and I do think of him as kind of a wing
4: <laughs> Judge, Judge how good of a player he is. I need to give me a ranking of how he sits. Yeah. yeah that exactly.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, was the posture? <laughs> I, I didn't even get to watch anybody else sit last year. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of, of comparison. Um, no. So yeah, it, I, I, I do think of, so I have a, a kind of um, it's not really an NBA mindset. It's just a basketball mindset now that I, I think I sort of view, I, I, I see bigs wings and guards. That's sort of the way I view a roster mm-hmm. And I think I would view Mike more as a wing um, than as a guard. And the guards are the guys, in my mind, guards are the guys who are, you know, people in the NBA talk all the time. And, and college coaches do this, too, about play starters and play finishers. And wings are more finishers, but they can, you know, they can slash with the ball. They can do some things. But your guards are really your, your offense creators. They're the guys who, who are charged with shot creation. And in that sense, based on what, we've, what we know of the roster,
4: there's one. I mean, like there's L and that's it. And that's not enough. And he, he had problem with Presley here saying that uh, he was a shooting guard. He uh, took to Twitter to say that he's a point guard. Uh, Where are you on throw the film out of last year versus you kind of showed what you were. um, and, And like when you evaluate what he is this year.
3: Yeah. To me, I don't care that much about that distinction. I think that's the thing for me. Like, can you create a shot for somebody else? I'll, I'll make a lot of NBA analogies. This is what I do, but like, um, love it. If you, like what, watch the Oklahoma city thunder play. Who is oh. the point guard? Is it Shea Gildas Alexander? Is it Josh Giddey? doesn't really matter. Those guys get it. They bring it. Um, whoever has the ball can initiate offense. One of them is a better shooter than the other. So he's maybe a better play finisher, but they both can start plays to me. You want that. And so like, I think you want, ideally if I'm Kenny Payne, I want four. Four guys who who do who can create their own shot. Now, some of those guys, you want them to be wings, but you need some like point guard type guys, but they can be. I don't care if you're six three and you can make a jumper and you can create a shot and you have the ball in your hand some fine. Call yourself whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. Are you are you good at shot creation? Can you get something for yourself or make something easy for somebody else?
4: I just pray there's a Lou Dort on this team for another (laughs) Oklahoma City (laughs) Thunder reference there. That's what
3: Mike James maybe
1: ought to to aspire to.
4: That's right. Yeah.
1: I guess my, my thinking on the whole guard situation, you know, I, I see Kamari lands too, as a guy that, that could potentially handle yep. the ball quite a bit in this offense. And look, if you look at the, at the NBA, and I think that's the way that college is, is going, it's going much too slow in my opinion, in the direction uh, of the NBA. Uh, but I think if you just looked at the way that, that things are trending, you would prefer to not have a primary ball handler. You'd prefer that teams can't take the ball out of a guy's hands and stop an offense and that's what Louisville was under Chris Mack. And I think that that's going to be something that, that people are super excited to see uh, under Kenny Payne if he's going to go with that more Kentucky type of system or more like modernized college basketball moving towards NBA system where, I mean, if you look at a team which granted LeBron James is a terrible example, but if if, if LeBron James and Donovan Mitchell and, and like you said, Shia Gillich's Alexander aren't necessarily guys that that are Classified as point guards, but when when the when the game is on the line, you're going to put those guys ball in, the ball in those guys' hands. Like you know, Jordan Clarkson is going to going to go off ball for the last four minutes in an NBA game, and it's the it's the same. I'm hoping it's the same way for Louisville. And so you know, to say Ellis is a shooting guard, uh, I don't think that's necessarily an, an insult because I feel like he's a guy that he's a he's a playmaker, he's a scorer, and because he's a scoring threat, that's what makes him a better passer. And I think that Louisville, he suggested, you know, in a few different posts on social media that, you know, he's last year was not indicative of, of who he is as a player. But that being said, I don't mind who he was last year as a player. Like right. a guy who can drop 20, 30 points uh, on any given night in like 20 or less minutes. Like I will take any amount of those guys on my team. I have no problem with that. And I'm hoping that L. Ellis is that guy this year. They can give him the ball at the end of the game and be like, dude, go to work, get a bucket. But no, speaking of kind of looking at guards in the portal, I guess my, my question for you as somebody who's kind of got, uh, you know, a, a few more connections than somebody like Jacob or I may have, is there anybody that you have your eye on that's in the portal right now uh, that's that's a guard that, you know, really stands out to you? I know there's one name, Jacob's ready to just shout into the microphone. But <laughs> it, 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 are, are there a few names that stand out to you, I guess?
3: Well, I mean, obviously the guys who have, or, or like the guys who will, will visit and have listed Louisville um, McNeil from West Virginia is a guy who I think, you know, um, when we talk about the kinds of players they need, holy hell, do they need some guys that can make three point shots, you know, they just got to get some more of those guys shot creation is really important. We saw last year how much shot creation matters for a guy like Noah Locke, where if you're creating something fairly easy for him, not a bad shooter. But not a guy who's great at going and getting his own. Um, I think you want some defined roles. One of the things that always bothered me about Louisville's team last year, the first time I saw them was the third game of the season. I'd watched the other games on TV, but I started the, my, my job the third game of the season. And right away, one of the things I, I said was like, they don't because they don't have like a they don't have a number one and a number two, there's not enough separation. And so it's hard to find roles when you don't have separation because the eighth guy is like. The first guy's really not that much better than me. So I'm going to go do my thing because I'm as good as anybody else on the team. You need a little bit of that sort of you need to, to stagger that. So um, that said, they, they need a, a shooter or two. They just need some knockdown shooters, even if they don't do a lot of other things, because I like teams with defined roles. Um, and then obviously, like a guy like Tyrese Hunter, that's a guy who's going to have a, he's got a great list of colleges. I have no idea where Louisville stands other than the fact that you know I think he's going to I don't know. He, he, he They're on the list. Right. They're, they're, they're on the list of teams. He's considering that is the kind of guy I think you really want is like a, you know, a a big guard who can go get it. And, you know, is a guy who can pass. Um, So those guys obviously are, are, you know, those are just guys who who I know have a little bit of interest in terms of guys who've entered the portal. Like today, I'm going to tell you that I've been doing Derby stuff today. So um, I might be a little bit behind the times, but I, I think in terms of types you want, I think you want another big guard. You want a big guard. They don't have a big guard. Who's really a creator. Um, and I, I think a knockdown shooter is really important for what you're trying to do here.
4: It's really interesting to see the portal start to kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a wave type of deal where you have a guys go in and then a bunch, you know, exit, whether they commit or they come out their own. And then you have the NBA draft deadlines and then players start to, you know, kind of trickle their way back in. Um, how much do you, how much urgency or how much action do you kind of foresee over the next couple of weeks knowing that Uh, The May 1st deadline to enter is is uh, quickly coming up. And then in June, you've got the the deadline to be out of the draft and all those things. You know, there's obviously I've seen some tweets out there about maybe, you know, the NCAA, there's talk of, of, you know, those waivers being much more uh, useful than maybe we anticipate with that May 1st deadline. So do you think that we're going to see some, you know, some things start to pick up over the next couple of weeks? Or do you think this is really going to be a long haul where maybe they don't add their 13th guy until, you know, uh, August or something along the lines like that?
3: I mean, it, that could happen just in the sense that, you know, they've got a lot of spots to fill right now. You're looking at, I mean, what do they have on the, if you're, if you're counting like commitments of, a, like, uh, like Brandon only Hatfield? they have seven guys. Is that right? Yeah. I think it's eight total. Okay. All right. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fill out a roster. You need some more bodies. Um, so it could go that something is late. There could be somebody who, you know, maybe they reclassify, maybe there's a junior college guy who's available. Um, you know, uh, I still think the portal, even though there are a ton of names in there, I wouldn't be surprised if you get another interesting one. Um, Just because, you know, as the portal, as guys start to make their choices, Uh, some other guys will say, I'm not sure I fit with this anymore. So maybe I'm going to look somewhere else. And so we got a lot of guys in the portal who haven't made choices yet. And when they start to make those decisions, you may see that sort of cause a flurry at the end as, as, you know, um, player a goes to school X and player B says, well, I don't really belong here anymore. So I'm going to school Y. Um, I think you'll see some of that stuff. Um, I'm fascinated. Obviously there's some 2022 guys they could still add, um, but I'm really intrigued by how they're going to round it out, like how how they're going to flesh out a full roster. And as as you've pointed out, like they got to be guards in the mix on that.
4: Yeah. And it's really interesting with this, uh, you know, kind of cycle normally for, for a lot of programs, you can kind of connect, you know, guys that were former recruits or they had connections with assistants on the co- on yeah. the staff with this staff. It's like, you're, you know, I don't know if you're an always sunny in Philadelphia fan, but it's Charlie Kelly kind of <laughs> trying to figure out and draw the lines because there's just no way to know what Kenny has on the recruiting board because he's been out of college basketball for the last couple of years. Before we move along with Brent Dawson of The Courier Journal into our next topic, we want to highlight a new sponsor, new partner, to the State of Louisville Podcast Network who is making all of this possible. What's Next with Eric Wood? It's a podcast that you can find anywhere you get your podcast on any streaming platform. Eric Wood is a man that needs no introduction around here, a former Louisville Cardinal football great, Buffalo Bill. A neck injury forced his early retirement and led him into the next portion of his life. And because of that experience, Eric is motivated and wants to help anyone who is in the transition in life make their what's next their best yet. Eric has great guests on weekly on his show, including business leaders, Uh, motivational speakers, business coaches, athletes, former athletes, including names such as Luke Hancock, Scott Satterfield, even local pastors such as Kyle Eidelman and Dave Stone have appeared on the What's Next with Eric Wood podcast. This is one of our newest partners. We want to support them by showing love and subscribing, downloading, and listening to the the show. I promise you, whether you're a football fan or you're just a regular Joe in life trying to to make every day your best jet, Eric Wood's podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood, will help you, motivate you, and inspire you to make whatever's next for you your best jet. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcast and make sure that you support Eric Wood.
1: And we're back with Brett Dawson of the courier journal. Again, if you don't follow him, B Dawson writes on Twitter. And as always at the courier
4: journal, if you are a subscriber, if not hop on in, Uh, Let me switch gears a little bit here, though, and let's move into the the staff. That's the other kind of big thing that's out there. Obviously, Louisville now has added Nolan Smith, which everyone has applauded across the college basketball world, which side note, it is great to be applauded by the college basketball world for once. It feels like we've (laughs) been the, the poo that people step on for the last 10 years or so, or so it feels. I know it's not been that long, but it's great to see people, you know, acknowledging what Kenny Payne is doing from a hiring standpoint. Nolan Smith, now Danny Manning third assistant. uh, Some of the other, you know, assistant roles are still kind of up in the air. Uh, In your opinion, uh, the conversation we had last week was obviously they need a third assistant. Um, In your opinion, do you think that it's more of trying to find a a specific role for a coach? Like I said, I could see it being, uh, you know, given to like somebody who specializes in one thing, like a defensive coordinator type of deal where they prioritize basketball coaching X's and O's over, say, recruiting. What do you think that they'll kind of prioritize in that third assistant spot when they look for that for that guy?
3: I'm interested. Kenny plays stuff pretty close to the chest. And so it's hard to know exactly, Um, you know, Danny Manning has been a head coach before. And so I think, you know, the fact that he added somebody with head coaching experience was notable, Um, but Danny's also got a good reputation as a recruiter and a skill developer. And so, you know, um, are you going to look for somebody who whether they've been a head coach or not is a little bit more, you know, I mean like the, the role, uh, I'm going to make some people upset here. I don't mean this person, but like the, the idea of Ross McMaines, right. Was that he's a strategist. He's a guy who's going to update. He's going to modernize your offense. Now right. the, offensive the, coordinator type, right. Idea. The jury is out on whether that, well, the jury's in, it didn't work. Um, but like that idea, it was, it was a good idea. And so maybe they go with somebody like that. They still could be looking at, you know, um, recruiters because you can't recruit too much. And Kenny is a guy who obviously having been, you know, again, I I, probably written this sentence 10 times uh, in the last month, but a a top two recruiting class every year. He was an assistant at Kentucky in the two, four, seven composites. They were one or two every single year. So that's a guy who really stresses the importance of recruiting. I know that he is a guy who is a believer in talent. If it were me, I'd love to see them think about a guy who is a little bit more offensive minded. Kenny's been around great defenses. You know, like I'm fascinated. I, I, I hope I get a chance to sit down with him soon and just talk some basketball stuff because, you know, he spent some time with, you know, you can pick apart a lot of stuff about Tom Thibodeau, but his defensive ideals are unimpeachable. He's a great defensive mind. And so what did you pick up there? What are some things you might apply offensively? I don't know if you want to draw a whole lot from what the Knicks are doing these days. And, and Calipari, I think, Very obviously, I don't know how Kenny would feel about me saying this. Fortunately, I can say whatever I want. Um, (laughs) Not not the most modern guy. And so like, well, I think the adaptability of what they did at Kentucky is really smart. You want to say we want to be able to change year to year. I think you also want to go into this with some sense of like modernity to what you're doing. So you want to be more flexible. You want to be more uh, space oriented than they've been there. Um, And so like, if you had somebody who that was their specialty, that's something I'd be really interested in seeing. It's Kenny staff. I don't care what he does, but that if I were looking, that's the kind of thing I'd
4: want to add to a staff. I got to say, Preston, before you jump in here, I would love a power forward, a small forward guy who could Julius Randle catch a rebound and just go take it immediately up the court and initiate your offense. I don't know why, but I've always found that to be so interesting that a guy like him, very much like Lamar Odom used to do back for the Lakers, he can just get you you know, 12 rebounds. You don't need to get it to a guard. He can initiate your offense and, and handle the ball just as well as most players on the court. Yeah,
3: I love guys that do that. I like watching Jared Vanderbilt, who's not like a really skilled offensive player, but like he'll just get the ball and go for Minnesota. And he's a good, like, um, he's a good lead passer. I love guys that play that way.
1: I don't know if you saw anything to, to kind of wrap up as far as the coaching discussion goes. Uh, College Basketball News earlier came out with an article where they were interviewing uh, Nolan Smith uh, and Danny Manning. And essentially, the, the top of the conversation was mostly just what do you think about the way that the transfer portal and just NIL and everything else is transferred or not transferred, but, you know, essentially just tra- transition college basketball into something completely different and, and, and made your job, just something totally different than what it was even two years ago. I thought their comments were really interesting. Maybe you could comment on this as well. No, Nolan Smith essentially came out and said, look, my initial thought was if I can leave and I can get out of my contract, And go somewhere. Why can a kid not do that? And so he said essentially what they're telling kids is if they come to if they come to Louisville or if they if you go to a a program where you feel like you're a good fit there, why not just commit and sign with them? It's just one year of your life. And if it doesn't work out, then you can always hit the portal again. There's always going to be more people. So like that's already their mindset. I don't know if you caught on to that at all where the, the staff is just they're not worried about what the depth chart's going to look like they're not worried about because they got Huntley Hatfield all of a sudden JJ Trainer's job or you know playing time might be in jeopardy or whatever they're going to treat this if, if kids can leave and they can make money on, on their image and likeness and all this other stuff why not just get the best players that you can possibly get and if they don't play and they don't like it they can go somewhere else
3: yeah I, look I, I'm a big proponent of of No penalty transfers. I have been for as long as I've been following basketball, not just because of what no one's saying there about his contract, but because, um, you know, I started out at a different college and then I left, you know, it wasn't the place I graduated. Nobody made me sit out. You know, I didn't have to like wait till I could start. You know, if I had left and gone to a different journalism school, they weren't going to make me wait a year to write for the paper, you know, like that stuff's absurd. And so I'm I'm a big I'm a player, you know, again, some of this comes from some years covering the NBA, but I'm a believer in player empowerment. Players are the most important part of that process. And so I think the idea that they have more freedom and more power is great. Um, I don't really see a downside to it. I know some people feel like it's different from the college basketball that they know, but in my mind, it's better. And so you just kind of deal with it. This is what it is. It'll change and you'll adjust over time. Um, so, no, I, I, look, they were always going to go for the best guys. This is who they are. And, and, and you know, in, in particular, Nolan and Kenny, those guys as assistants, Nolan has a, has a pretty brief window as an assistant coach, but he was on the Duke staff longer than he was an assistant. Those guys came from college programs like obviously Kenny had to stop in between in the NBA, but those guys came from college programs where you recruit the best of the best. You are going after the very best players. Now there are guys at both schools, Duke and Kentucky, where they're further down the rankings, but you like them. And you're going to target those guys because you think you can get them. Maybe you got a better shot than you've got at this certain top five guy, but you're, you're never not going after a guy because he's just too good for you to pursue. And I think that approach is going to be what they bring here. Now, are they going to get all those guys? No, the competition is stiff for those guys. Are they going to get more of those guys than Louisville's gotten in the past? hundred percent. I'm sure that they are. But yeah, I, I don't think they're going to let anything get in the way of, of you know, whether it's uh, whatever the transfer rules are or anything. I don't think they're going to let anything get in the way of trying to get
4: the absolute best guys they can get. And, and I think that it feels like for the first time, Louisville fans can take a, a deep uh, breath because coaches have hesitated from doing that for some reason. Now, granted, Rick Pitino did have a couple of number one guys. Smarto Samuels being up there and and, uh, it just didn't go the way that you expected. But over time, Louisville has, you know, they've gotten kids, they've dabbled in the top 25, but they've never really made a living there. And for Louisville fans, I think it's just this breath of of fresh air to be the cool program and kind of be, you know, back rightfully where they belong because I think most would say – Louisville is a blue blood program. Now, you know, I know it's been a rough couple of years nationally for, for them, you know, from an image standpoint, but I think getting back on the right track, getting players like this, things like that, is exactly where Louisville fans expect them to be. Um, a, a continued topic of adding to the roster. We obviously know that there's a decision to be made by Devin Ree in the class of 2022 on uh, May 2nd, interestingly enough, 502 day. <laughs> uh, I find that to be quite the interesting coincidence. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but there are multiple other high school players. I, I, people have kind of said that the, the high school class is over, but I, I look at the list of, of current decommits and there's actually quite a bit of talent out there as we've seen some of the coaching turnover and it's led to guys hitting the portal. Um, guys like, you know, uh, Jalen Reed from Florida. We, we've seen guys like Julian Phillips from LSU. Devin Reed obviously was an LSU guy. Do you think that um, they're going to continue to look at this class and, and really kind of leave the options open For adding more high schoolers, or do you think that they're? And I asked Presley this last week, or do you think there's a vested interest to try to add guys who are older in age who can kind of come in and provide veteran leadership?
3: I think they're in a position where they can't be super picky. You're trying to be as good as you can as soon as you can. And the portal is great for that. The portal has just completely changed the way you can rebuild on the fly. Now, they got a little bit of a late start, not in terms of, everybody's doing most of their portal recruiting right now, but Kenny hasn't been the coach at Louisville very long. And so they're trying to play catch up in that sense. And that may take some time. And, you know, the other thing for them, when I say they won't let anything get in the way of pursuing the best players, they can't control everything that can get in the way. And one of those things is the NCAA stuff. And when are we going to hear something about that? And and how does that impact how these guys make decisions that matters? It's obviously going to be a factor for some of these guys. So my, my thing is, I think, in a perfect world, I think what you want to do right now is get some balance. So, a guy like Devin Ree, he might not be so different from the guys in the portal because if he has a good enough year, you're only going to have him for one year. But you know, ideally, if uh, if, if he takes a little time to develop, you've got a guy there that's foundational. You can kind of build around for two years or whatever. I just don't think I, I think in a perfect world, what you would say is you want a little bit of a balance. You'd like to get a couple of really high level high school kids. You'd like to get some transfer guys who can help right away if they got two years of eligibility left. Super. But just get some guys who can be impactful right away. I don't think they have the option of being real picky about where they go in those two pools they need to fill out a roster and they need to make it as good as they can as fast as they can and not as fast as they can in terms of like before next fall kenny doesn't rush anything but i think in terms of like the available players they just got to look at what's there and survey and take what they can get
4: all right last question for me here and then I'll, i'll let presley wrap up the show uh, it's been interesting to watch all of these guys hit the portal from Louisville's roster from last year. There's been a number of guys that have left. I don't have the exact count. I do now one, two, three, four. So five guys have hit the portal over the last couple of months. Uh, several of them now have destinations where we know that they'll play next year. Noah know a lot committing to Providence. Matt Cross committing today to play for Frank Martin at UMass, which that is going to be fun to watch. You're talking about a guy who is as strict of as a head coach as you could imagine uh, with players and attitude and stuff so it's gonna be interesting to hear what comes of that and then obviously Sam Williamson going to play uh, at SMU and I I, I'm hating myself for forgetting where Gabe Witsnitzer has committed to but shame shame on me for that but Gabe's out there as well so my question is who do you think out of all these guys got the best fit in terms of uh, the chance for him to have success uh, in their next stop because I think all Louisville fans will be rooting for these guys to go on and and do well for themselves that's
3: a great question I don't know a lot about the situations they're going into. I'm sort of fascinated by the guys who are um, kind of going home. I mean, Matt Cross is as Boston as Boston gets. So it's interesting for him to be in that area. Um, You know, Sam is obviously a guy who's got a lot of talent, but never really put it together here. And so I'm intrigued by him as like just a change of scenery guy. Um, But I think the guy going into the best situation, when you look at what Providence did this year and what they've done in the portal, if, If Noah Locke will be the guy he can be, which is accept a role that you're a spot up shooter that if a hard close comes, you can, you know, step in and shoot a pull up. Don't look to create a lot of stuff for yourself. Don't look to put the ball on the floor too much. If you'll fill a role on a really good team like that, I think he could really thrive because he is good at that. Um, I think part of the thing of coming here was a desire to prove he could do more than that. Um, and I'm not sure that that's his in his wheelhouse. And so, like, I, I love the idea of a guy like that on the right team. Um, so I, I like that sense. But, uh, you know, if I had to say who's got the best chances to do well, I think probably Sam Williamson kind of taking a step back in the conference in terms of the, the kind of competition he's going to be facing still good competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but like at a school like that, maybe a little bit more freedom. Maybe he just gets a fresh start. I, I like his chances to be pretty good. The, the one difference from last year's team to this year's
1: team is I think that Louisville tried to fit a bunch of pieces together that were just not cohesive. And, you know, I've, I've said this. I feel like almost every podcast, but Jeff Greer always, has always worded it cr- the best way, I think. And it was who stirs the drink for this team. And it really it was nobody. And yeah. early, early last season, uh, I think that Jared West kind of, you know, hit his peak as a player at Louisville because they were playing a little bit lesser competition. He was able to get a little bit more penetration and and, he, and players that were defending him were about uh, of equal speed and athleticism, but you just absolutely gotten eaten up by, you know, ta- talented competition and people who could scout for him and that sort of stuff. So I, I think that that's one thing that, that fans are really hoping that that we have this season is that there's more cohesion and that the roster is able to fit together better. And I think that going back to that whole just grabbing the best players that you possibly can and just adjusting your style to what they need, I think that that's going to be kind of a breath of fresh air for, for this program. Do you have any, any comments or final thoughts on, on what fans can look for? Obviously, they're still trying to grab five or six more players. What can fans look for as, as far as style of play that they're going to bring? And, and, you know, how they're going to recruit towards that.
3: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to watch how much emphasis do they place on shooting? Look, it's I'm not (laughs) I'm not a basketball genius to come out here and say, like, I just don't believe you can be good in, in the modern era if you can't spread the floor. Like, I just I just don't think it works. And that team last year, among the many, many problems it had, and I think shot creation was the biggest offensive problem. But they also needed more guys who could just consistently knock down shots. And so. Do they go out, you know, and, and look, and I, we should note they're they're paying attention to it. Devin Ree is a guy with deep range. You know, they're looking at McNeil. They're looking at, you know, in the transfer portal, they're looking at guys who can shoot. So um, I think they're paying attention to that. But I would say look at that and then let's see what, what kind of guys they get in terms of their athleticism, their ability to get up and down the floor. They're going to have a pretty big team at this point. So stylistically, are they going to have to slow things down a little uh, to best suit that roster? Um, a lot of that will depend, I think, on what the rest of these guys look like.
1: You know, last year, I know you kind of came in like right on the front end of the season, but all of the hype this time last year, we were talking about, you know, Chris Mack and the staff, they're finally, you know, going into the tool bag and they're grabbing the guys that we need. Like that, that was the narrative, right? Like the narrative was, well, Noah Locke, he shot over 40% from three for three straight seasons. Who else was it? Jared West shot over, over 40% from three. Yeah. And, and I mean,
4: Louisville fans got to watch Matt cross, kick their, you know, kick their ass earlier in the season. Yeah, Matt cross the best them. game he's ever played in college. I think still yeah, is that yeah, game ab-
1: absolutely just torched Louisville the season yeah. before. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say, like, yeah, I think that they, they do need shooters. Absolutely. You know, I always think about, like, like a Donovan Mitchell or these guys that are just raw talents when they come in into college. Donovan Mitchell is a good example for a Louisville fans just because he's a guy who played here, and he's developed into a really solid three-point shooter in the NBA. But coming into Louisville, he was just a freak athlete, and that was it. Like, his, his thing was he could dunk the crap out of the basketball and, you know, had decent handles, and that was about it. And he developed himself into an elite three-point shooter. And that's kind of the mold that, and I guess, as a guy that was in the NBA, maybe you could correct me uh, a little bit as somebody who kind of covered guys coming into the league. But is there something to be said about just getting the best
3: athletes and kind of molding them into a better shooter? I think there is, but you're also talking about a level of basketball in college where what we've just talked about, you're going to have your best players, are maybe going to stay for a year and go pro. Uh, You're going to have other guys who if things don't work out for them, they've got the option to go somewhere else after a year. And so player development is still critical skill development. And Kenny's going to tell you like personal development and developing them as people, all that stuff is really important. But you know, your window to improve guys may be shrinking, you may not have as many years with players now. And that's not just the one and done guys, but these other guys who are gonna look at things. So I think You know, it's a mixture. I think you absolutely want to take some guys who are just high ceiling, best player available guys. Um, But I think as you round out a roster, you also want to think about how do we win games next year? What's the best way for us? And I don't just mean Kenny in his first year. I mean coaching in general moving forward. You want to think about, okay, and the portal's a great way to do this, right? Those guys already have done their developing. So go find a shooter in the portal. Worry about getting your best players, your most talented players from wherever. They could be high school kids. They could be junior college kids. You take your best players and your best athletes. But try to round it out with some skills that you're missing. If you don't have a rim protector, maybe there's one in the portal. If you don't have enough three-point shooting, go find it in the portal. I think that's where you're going to see roster construction change so much. And so, you know, I think Kenny is still going to want to get the very best players. They're going to try to get top five, top 10 talents. But I think the portal is a great way to round out a roster on those guys. One thing we've seen, you know, Kentucky won a title, Duke won a title with a one and done kind of core, but that's it. And those teams had experienced players as well. It's hard to win if you're turning over your roster that much. And so the portal is a great way to just sort of say, I'll tell you a great story and I can't tell you who it's about, but a a coach at an assistant coach at a division one school uh, was telling a friend of mine, you know, they were evaluating some players. They were just having a staff meeting to evaluate some recruits. And they saw a guy and they said, you know, like talking to the head coach saying, coach we we like him. We think he's pretty good. We're not a hundred percent sure. Can he, you know, is he going to help us? And the head coach said, let him go somewhere else. Don't offer him. If he's good enough, he'll want to play for us. He'll come back to us. And that, I mean, I think you can recruit that way now and you, you're probably going to need to.
1: Yeah. I think that, you know, there's something to be said for there being a little bit less of a desperation when recruiting and just kind of going in and kind of putting it all out there and just saying, Hey, this is who we are. These you're the type of player that we want. If you're a good fit, come to us. If not, then, you know, we, we will find the, the players that are the right fits for us. Uh, but, Brett, we, we, could, we could do this all day, but we don't want to take up too much of your time. If you don't follow him on Twitter, make sure that you follow Brett Dawson at b Dawson BDawsonWrites on Twitter. Additionally, make sure that you are subscribed and, and tuning into the Courier Journal, the Pulitzer Award-winning Courier Journal, I might add. All, as always, great coverage. Again, Brett, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. It's been a pleasure Could do this for hours, but, but uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah.
3: Thank you guys. I like talking about basketball. This is fun for me. Yeah, ab- absolutely, man.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies.